This morning we are going to be in Revelation 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And I do want to talk about Revelation for a little while. Last week we were in Revelation chapter 5, and uh, the end of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, and we saw this time in heaven where John is, is having a vision. He's taken to the future and to see this moment, to write about it. And he is writing about this time where he sees a need for someone to make all the wrongs right. He's looking for someone to fix all that is broken in our world. And he finds that. He finds that through Jesus. And if you remember last week's sermon, uh, in, the, in the moment where the angel was looking for someone worthy to open the scroll, there was no one to be found, and John began to weep. And then the, the elder said, weep no more, behold the line of the tribe of Judah. And he looked, and it, it wasn't a lion, lion that he saw. It was one who was as a lamb who had been slain. So, of course, this is talking about Jesus, and Jesus is both the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the conqueror, the victor, but he is also the lamb who was slain, who gave his life for us. And so we're seeing uh, this, this place and time in the future where John is finding that Jesus is worthy to bring about the, the restoration of all things, and he is worthy to open the scroll. And, and then we also saw in Revelation chapter 5 where there were a, a, someone from every tribe, every tongue, every place on earth, every people group on earth, there was someone from each tribe represented worshiping Jesus and saying, worthy are you to open the scroll. And you created all things, and you, you know, by your will they exist, as we saw in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And then in Revelation chapter 5, he is worthy because he ransomed for himself, a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so uh, that's what we saw last week. And hopefully in seeing that, first of all, that Jesus is, is able to fix all this, that gives us hope, but also seeing uh, that in the end there will be people from every tribe present in heaven worshiping, then that should give, also give us encouragement and a challenge to go and show love to everyone, people who are different than us, uh, people from other countries, people who speak different languages, it should give us a desire to go and, and minister to them um, because they're going to be there, and we want to play a part in helping them to know the Lord. And, and if we love God, then we should love others, and we should have a passion and a burden for others. Um, but it, even in addition to that, um, how many of you in here speak English? Okay, a few of you, good. Um, well, you know, English, there might have been like a family or two speaking it when Jesus was on earth, but most people think that it might not have even been in existence when Jesus was on earth, and it surely didn't become a popular language for another thousand plus years after Jesus. And so if, if, if the first Christians if the early Christians didn't want to share their faith with people who spoke a different language, then we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Because we speak a different language than they did. And so uh, all of that was, was some things that we looked at last week. And now let's go into this week, into Revelation 21. And I said some of this last week, and I, I just want to give a little disclaimer about Revelation. Um, 
usually when I'm studying for, let, let's say Jonah, when I was studying for Jonah, preparing those sermons, or Philippians, or First John, or anytime I'm preparing a sermon, I study the scripture, I look at the context, I look at what comes before and what comes after, I think about it in relation to the rest of the Bible, how does this fit in with what these other authors in the Bible say, things like that. Um, and usually when I go to a commentary, they pretty much agree, believe it or not, um, on most things. And there are times when I find a passage where, where they disagree, and most of the time it's, you know, small things, that kind of thing. And then there's Revelation. And there aren't two commentaries that agree on anything. I mean, if I go to study uh, Revelation chapter 21, as I did this week, each commentary is saying a different thing about different things. Now, they all agree on the major, major thing that is, that this is going to happen, and that this is talking about um, either eternity or getting there. And so, what I want to tell you this morning is, I am not going to be focusing on the details. Now, I will not skip over those things, um, although for time's sake, I will have to summarize a, a big portion of this chapter where we wouldn't get through it, um, but I will explain to you the, different, the major different opinions on different things uh, as we get there. Uh, but I think that revelation, that there are just some things that we can't understand, and there's a few reasons for that. First of all, um, how, many, how many of you in here like to read? Anybody like to read? All right, several of y'all. Okay, how many of y'all like to read um, like James Patterson? Anybody like to read? A few of y'all like to read James Patterson. So, you know, mystery-type, uh, action-type books. All right, so we're reading that, and although they're different and they have twists and they're fun, that's a, a genre in itself, right? These action-type, mystery-type thrillers. Um, so you kind of know what to expect when you go into that. Uh, how many of you like to read romance novels? Anybody? Yeah, right. Y'all just aren't raising your hands. There's a few of y'all. Uh, I saw some husbands pushing up some arms. Um, well, when you go into a romance novel, then there are some expectations that you have, right? Because there are things that, that fit into genres. Most of the time, authors will fit their, their books into certain genres. I mean, there's uh, this band called 21 Pilots. Terry knows what I'm talking about. Um, I'm just picking. He probably doesn't. Uh, <laughs> the look he just gave me tells me he doesn't. But their songs... You can't even really fit them in a genre because it's like one song is this and then another song is this. All right, I'm old and like Bob Dylan. Um, and he would have a song that was a folk music. I mean, like very traditional folk. And then he brought in electric guitar and the genres were a little blurred. And, and you, you couldn't tell from album to album where he was going. But uh, for our sake, for Revelation... Revelation fits into a very specific genre. It's apocalyptic literature. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where there's apocalyptic literature, but this is the major piece of it. There's also apocalyptic literature in Ezekiel and Daniel. And all that means is, is that it's talking about the end from an earlier point, and they're using very creative language to describe the end. And I don't know the reasons for that, um, although I can imagine some. For example, if um, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, okay? 
but how many of you in here were born before 1940? Anybody? Okay, a, a few of y'all are sheepishly raising your hands. Okay, so here's my question. Could you imagine computers or cell phones 70, 80 years ago? It would be a very hard thing. I remember when I was a kid, y'all remember how big computers were? I mean, you didn't have them in your homes until I was an older kid, and, and then, um, you know, Internet came around. And it, for those of you who don't know, it used to take like two minutes to download a picture. A picture, not a song or a movie, a picture. And so if you go back in history and ask someone to predict the future, what things are going to be like, it's very hard. Now, we have some talented people, um, like, was it Gene Roddenberry who did Star Trek, right? You can watch Star Trek, and you see um, some pretty futuristic things. And, of course, they got a lot of stuff wrong, um, but they got some things like the little communicator. That, that's pretty sharp, right? Um, and so this is the true inspired word of God, okay? There's no doubt about that. But this true inspired word of God is written by men. And John is seeing the future. And he is trying to write, and he is inspired in what he is writing. He's telling truth. Um, but he is writing it in a way where, that he has the words as a human being to describe it. So he can't, are there going to be computers in this time? I don't know. I would assume so since it's in the future. But how would he know how to describe that? If civilization continues for another thousand years, how would we be able to describe what's in the future? I, I can remember as a kid, there was this movie where um, a person called someone and their picture came up on the TV. And I was like, man, that would be awesome, but that'll never happen. Well, that's, you know, that's just how it is now. You can do that kind of stuff. And so as we're looking at Revelation, I want us to remember that there is some very uh, colorful language about some things. We saw some of that last week. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, when the elder said, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, was it a literal lion that saved humans? No. It was a figurative lion. It was Jesus, this conqueror, the king of the jungle, the king of the Jews. It was the king of the world. It was Jesus. Okay? Was it literally a root of David. Did David literally have roots? And was Jesus literally his roots? No, it's figurative language. It's, it's using words that we all know what they mean when we look into figurative language. We can understand what it means. And the idea that it presents is true. It's just not literal. And so in some of the language in Revelation throughout the Bible and all literature, some of it is literal and some of it is figurative. And just because it's figurative doesn't mean it's not true. Agreed? Okay. All right. With that said, let's go into Revelation 21. Uh, actually, I need a volunteer. I, is there... Logan, you're the man. Come here. All right. Here's what I need you to do. That's Mr. Tim. You know Mr. Tim? Raise your hand, Tim. All right. I want you to go up there with him, and I'll give you instructions in just a second. <laughs> All right. 
Okay, so in Revelation 21, we are getting to the end of Revelation. And this is the last two chapters right here. And so this is going to be the end. Now, in the first two chapters of the Bible, God dwelled with man. He walked with, man, with Adam and Eve in the garden. He dwelled with them. Okay, he created them. He dwelt with them. And then in chapter 3, what happened? Genesis chapter 3. Sin, sin, the fall, happened. And so there was a separation between God and man. Everything between Genesis chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 21 is God fixing sin. God correcting what humans broke. And then in the last two chapters of the Bible, we will see God dwelling with man again. So I want to get that, these bookmarks in place. Okay. Logan, you ready? All right. You see that thing that's sitting in front of Mr. Tim? You have to walk up there with him. Don't fall out of the balcony, please. All right, you see that thing? Do you know what it is? Okay, good. Describe it to us. You have to use your words. You can't, Tim can't help you. It's a huge computer that does what? It's a huge computer up there that helps other computers do things. That's actually pretty good. All right, keep, keep describing it to us because they can't see it. They want to know what you're describing. You have to speak loudly. It has a bunch of knobs. What up? Buttons. What's, does the back of it look like the front of it? What does the back of it look like? Again, please do not fall out of the balcony. There's, do, there's what? A bunch of cords running into the back of it. All right. Now, does anybody know what he's talking about? Anybody? few people? Okay. He's talking about our soundboard, right, where it is a big computer. That's good. Okay, Logan, you can come on back down now. Thank you, buddy. All right. So here's Logan going up there. He doesn't know what he's looking at. But he's trying to describe to us what he's looking at. And, and if he would have kept um, investigating, he would have found where those cords ran to. And I bet he would have been able to tell us even more. Um, but what it is, is it's a soundboard. And it produces, it, it takes end cables where you can, like, hook up a phone to it or a computer to it. And a DVD player, a CD player, and run those cables to the soundboard so that it is taking in the sound, and then it sends cables to places, like all these speakers you see around in, in the sanctuary, the monitors, different things, and it plays sound, right? Now, Tim can tell you all about it and give you all kinds of details about it because he's, he's working it up there. Um, several other people in here can tell you about it. Uh, but imagine if you're like Logan and you've never seen this before and you're trying to explain it. And that's what we have here with, with John. John is in heaven in, in Revelation chapter 5, and he's trying to explain what he's seeing in heaven, and he's doing the best he can. And I believe that what he is saying is true, and it is representative of, it's, it's enough for us. If God wanted us to have more, <clears throat> he would have given him different language. He would have put it in different ways. But he gave him what, what John needed, 
what the people of John's time needed and what all people after John needed in order to know the truth of who God is and what he is doing and, and what he wants us to know about what he is doing. And so uh, the things that we read here, just as Logan is describing the soundboard, which he doesn't know about, this is John describing some things that some of it he understands and some of it he doesn't. He's, he's just telling us what he sees, okay? Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, in the previous chapter, we see that God is, is, is coming, and the old way of things is fleeing, disappearing, it, making its exit. It's over with. And here, um, John is seeing a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, some people believe this is a literal city. Some people believe that this is a literal city that is elevated above the earth somehow. Now, hundreds of years ago, when they came up with this idea, how could you even come up with an idea like that, (laughs) that there is this literal city in the sky? Now we could easily see something like that taking place in the future. Uh, And I don't know if this is literal or figurative. And actually, if I had to choose one, I would probably lean toward this being a figurative city in the sky. Now, I'm not saying that something's not coming down, that the new isn't coming in. Um, I just don't know how it's going to happen. But this is the way that John is describing it to the best of his ability, and it is good enough. It's a good enough description. It's a great description for us to be able to take and to know truth of what we need to know, because this is what God has given us. Okay, and so some people actually believe that this is uh, the bride of Christ, that this is the church, okay? Because in the New Testament, um, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And as you'll see, so is New Jerusalem in this passage. So, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. We, we heard a loud voice from the throne earlier in, in Revelation chapter 5. And here's the thing about the loud voice from the throne. It comes several times during Revelation, and, and this is the last time. Um, this, this chapter is the last time that we see the loud voice from the throne, or hear it, I guess I should say. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, here is the crux of this passage is that in Genesis 1 and 2, God dwelled with man. Sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation chapter 20. God is dealing with sin. And then in Revelation 21, God is coming back to dwell with man in in this new earth, in this new heaven, this new earth. And most people believe when it says new heaven that that's talking about the skies, just as in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth, it was talking about this guy's there. And, and uh, let's continue going. And actually, I'm sorry, in, chapter, in verse 3, I just want to reemphasize this because of its importance. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He 
will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, the rest of the chapter, the rest of Revelation is built on this, that we will get to dwell with God again. That when we are in the presence of God, it's going to make everything okay. You know, when, when one of my kids gets scared, they're going to run to, to me and Rose. Whether whatever they're scared about, we can make it better or not, they just feel better being in our presence. Well, God can make it better, and we will be in his presence, and it will be right. It will be made right. All the things that burden us, that hinder us, that, have, that we consider as um, painful, chaotic, all those things God is going to make right. And we will get to be in his presence. We will get to run to him just as a child runs to its parent for safety, for comfort. We will get to run to God. We will get to dwell with God and God with, with us. Verse 4. And this is a passage that we looked at um, when, just as we looked at Revelation 5. We looked at Revelation 21 in the past. And we haven't just focused and dedicated a whole sermon to the chapter um, but we have looked at this, and many of you have looked at this before, uh, just as many of you had studied Jonah before when we got there. And uh, for me, just as Revelation chapter 5, I said, was one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It should be, for all Christians, one of our favorite chapters, because this is telling us how God is going to make it right. This is it's telling us what it looks like when he makes it right, I should say. And, and look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. In earlier chapters, Jesus has um, been on earth reigning and making things right, working things out. And here um, we see the, the final thing that, that needs to be corrected, corrected. And that would be death. That once this takes place, there will be no more death. There will be eternal life. And death is, is an enemy. Uh, death has cost us a lot. If, I, if we were to go around the room and talk about how death has affected us, um, we would all have stories of, of pain and heartache. And, and this is telling us that, that God is going to correct that. God is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, this shouldn't mean, we shouldn't take this necessarily to mean that um, when we get to heaven, there will still be a time where there will be pain and tears and suffering and things like that. That's just giving an illustration that here was the old and here is the new. That it, there used to be pain. There used to be suffering. There used to be tears. There used to be death, but no more. He's going to fix that. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So just for a second, and I want us to focus on the scripture. And so I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to please be disciplined in what I'm about to ask you to do. Because for a moment, I want you to turn your attention to the suffering that you have experienced. Whether that's recently or distant past, I want you to think about the ways that you have experienced pain on this earth. 
I want you to think about the, the tough times that you are going through or have been through. And it doesn't take much imagination if you're of a certain age to think of these things because we've all experienced them. We've all experienced abuse from people. We've all experienced death. We've all experienced sickness and what that does to our life. We've all experienced um, being the one that hurts people and being the one hurt by people. We've all experienced feeling like an immense separation from God, or maybe not all, but most, if not all. We've experienced pain. We've experienced tears. When's the last time that you were so hurt that it, it caused you tears? You cried. Now, just as I asked you, I told you you were going to be disciplined. Now, what I want you to do is, is for the rest of this sermon, try not to think of those things like that. Think of them in a time where there will be a day when all that pain and all that hurt and all that wrong is made right. How is it going to be made right? I don't know, but I know who's going to do it. I know that Jesus is going to do it. I know that God is going to do it through him. I know that that all that we've experienced will be made right. And I long for that day. I can't wait for that day. I mean, not only can I not wait for the day where I'm not hurt anymore, I can't wait for the day where I'm not the one hurting people anymore. I can't wait for the day where I don't have to worry about sin anymore because I really do love God. And I know that many of you in here love God. You love Jesus. And you want to honor him with your lives. You want to do the right thing. And then we find ourselves not doing the right thing. And we have to repent. And we have to ask God to forgive us. Imagine a day where there will be no more repenting because there will be no more sinning. Imagine a day where we get to be in the presence of God. Imagine a day where there won't be any more death, where there won't be any more suffering, where we won't cause pain and we won't be caused pain. And I'm ready for that day. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that day. And so I am grateful that we have someone who is worthy of opening the scrolls. And now I'm referring back to last week's sermon where we talked about the scroll, opening the scroll represented bringing about the end of suffering, the end of pain, the, the reconciliation of all that and God dwelling with his people again. And when the, scrolls, when the scroll was opened, the scroll that was written on the front and in the back, the one mentioned in Revelation chapter 5, when it is opened, it's going to set a series of events into place, and this is the end. The end is God dwelling with his people again. And I cannot wait for that day. I can't wait for the day for all the things that I don't understand, for all the suffering that I don't understand. I look around the world and I see the families who are fleeing from evil men and women who are are trying to murder them, where families are having to run away from their homes. I, I look at that and I see how unfair it is and it causes me grief, as I'm sure it does for many of you, and, and yet, I trust that, that there will be a day when God makes it right. I don't have to look to another country. I can look right here in our community, and I can see people struggling with sin, struggling with addiction, where it's affecting their families, and it's affecting their children, and, and, and they don't want to be bad spouses or bad um, parents or siblings or whatever role they are in life. It's not like anybody wakes up one day and just says, you know what, I, th- I, I think I'm going to run my life. 
but they have made the choice to do something, and that choice has led them to a series of consequences that they couldn't have imagined. And I look around when, when I'm in the school or when I'm coaching Little League or whatever it is, and I see some of these kids in our community who, who are going through something that their choices didn't lead them to that. And I, and I pray for them, and I wish that it wasn't so. And one day it won't be so. One day God will make it all right. One day he's going to fix all this. One day there won't be any of this pain and this suffering. And, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because the fixing is talked about more later. Um, and, and we'll talk about it next week some. But uh, let's continue, continue reading. The former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. He's made it right. He's fixed what was broken. Sin has been dealt with. Death has been dealt with. Pain has been dealt with. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And many of you know that was just the first and last letter of the alphabet then. And, and he's the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I want to make something clear here. He who conquers is Jesus, and everyone who has faith in Jesus. And when I say have faith in, or if I were to say believe in, I'm not just saying that you believe that Jesus is the son of God. That head knowledge doesn't save you. Because, like we've said many times before, like the Bible says, even demons believe and shudder, okay? It's not just a head knowledge. It's a faith where, yes, I believe you are the son of God. I want a relationship with you. Please forgive me. Please save me. And you become his. It's a faith where you're no longer your, you belong to yourself, but you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, of course, the Bible tells us that after we're saved, there will still be a struggle with sin. There will still be a struggle with temptation and those things. But we're going to have a heart to obey him, a desire to obey him. And if anything comes into our life where we know that our actions are disapproved by God, then it should convict us because of our relationship with him. If we're truly saved, if we're saved, we should be convicted when we do things that are not right that are against God's desires. And that we should be convicted by the Holy Spirit if he dwells in us. So those who have a relationship with Jesus, those, the, the, ones, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And now, verse 8, there's a list. And there are lists all throughout the Bible. And when you get the fruit of the Spirit, along with the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the what? The flesh. And so we see... That if you're saved, these are some things that should be in your life. And if you're lost, then these are some things that are probably in your life. And they're just representative. It doesn't mean that there aren't people who don't have a relationship with Jesus who can't do good things every once in a while. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people who have a relationship with Jesus who do bad things every once in a while. But what it means is, is that if you love Jesus, if you truly do, then your life should be on a path toward, and you should have these things represented presently 
of love, peace, patience, you can keep going. And if you don't have Jesus, then these are some things that are going to be represented primarily. Let's look at some of these. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. So some of us are pretty good with the list until it gets to all liars, because who in here has ever told a lie? Three of you. Awesome. So all of us, obviously, um, have lied, and there, we are included in this list if we are not conquerors. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, if he has paid for your sins, then you are a conqueror. So the question this morning is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you have a relationship with him, then there are a few things. First, it should be reflected in your life. If you say, yeah, I love Jesus, and nothing in your life has changed since you got saved, then you need to start questioning because the Bible tells you to question whether you truly have a relationship with him or not. How can it be that we are saved and nothing changes? I'm not saying that's impossible. It could be that you are just a very baby Christian who has never grown in Christ. But the more likely answer is, in my opinion anyway, is that you don't have a relationship with him. And so if we are saved, then there should be fruit of that. There should be proof of that. And for those who are not saved, who have not been made conquerors through Christ, then what's the the outcome? And this is the end. This is what we're seeing. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't know what heaven is going to be like. We've we've talked about that some here. Um, I do believe that this is representative of what heaven is going to be like. That's why I've been teaching it as so, um, when all the pain and suffering and things will be gone. I don't know what heaven is going to be like, and I don't know exactly what hell is going to be like. But I do believe that there is and will be such a place as heaven and hell. And I believe that all people will have an end in one of those two places. That we will end up in heaven or in hell. And I believe that we all deserve hell, every single one of us. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And, and that's not just the temporary death, but the punishment that comes with that. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We all are going to be in one of those two places. And so I had way more scripture. I didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to this morning, but we're going to cut it off here. And my question to you is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I want to be clear, I'm not just asking this so that you can be counted as part of a group here on earth where you, uh, you know, go to church and you're a pretty good old boy or girl and uh, you are productive in your community and things like that. I'm not saying those things aren't important. But what I'm saying is, is that I want to make sure that I and all others in here have a relationship with Jesus so that when the end comes, 
we will be counted as conquerors. We will be counted as righteous, not because of the good stuff that we have done, but because Jesus Christ gave up his life as a ransom for many, as we read last week. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah appears as the root of David, appears as a lamb who has been slain. And he makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. He has paid. The wages of sin is death. Wages, that's what you're paid, right? What you get paid for your sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? A gift is, is the opposite of wages. A gift is something that you don't deserve. It's given to you freely. And the gift of God... God is the opposite of sin and sinfulness. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is the opposite of death. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. But that, it's not just, that's not the end of the verse. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The way we get that gift is through Jesus. It's not through our works. It's not through doing good things. It's through Jesus. So do you have a relationship with Jesus? And then the thing I will say if you answer yes is, then do you have the good works? Because you can't separate the two. In, in James, he says, you tell me you have faith, good, right? And that's where he says, even the demons believe in shudder. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. If we believe, if we have faith, then God should change us from the inside out, and when our heart is changed, then we should do good works. We should live for him and not for ourselves. We should be concerned with the needs around us, just as Jesus was when he was on this earth. We should be committed to to purity, which means we should strive to do right, to not sin. And if we don't have that fruit in our life, if we don't have that heart in our life, then even if you answered, yes, I'm a Christian, I would say, Let's, you better make sure. Because if you don't have fruit in your life, you need to do some evaluating. Anytime we sin, we need to check our heart. We need to ask, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to tell God we're sorry. We need to be sorry before we can tell God we're sorry. And so where are you this morning? We're all in different places. There are some of us in here who are the greatest Christians that I've ever known. There are some people in here who love the Lord as as much as anybody I've ever met, and that love is displayed in their lives, right? And then there are some of us in here who we, we have never asked Jesus to save us. We have never given our hearts to him. We've never started a relationship with Jesus for that change to start taking place. And then there are those in the middle. And so my question this morning is to you, where are you spiritually? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus, if you have one? And I want you to respond during this invitation with wherever you are personally. Are there things that need to be worked out in your life? If you have a right relationship with God and you are confident in that, and there is no self-reflection that needs to take place this morning, then what about the ones close to you in your lives? Pray for them this morning. But if there is something that you need to take care of between you and God this morning, do it now, before you walk out these doors.
before the distractions enter back into to reality. Choose now what your future steps will be and then start taking those steps. Choose now if you want to ask God to save you. Make that choice now. Is, is he stirring something in your heart right now? Is he working something in your life right now? Respond to him in whatever way he's leading you. I'm going to ask um, Dan and, and Terry to come, uh, already there, to come up and lead us in our time of invitation. And, uh, and I'm going to pray for us. And after my prayer, we will sing. And as we're singing, if God has been dealing with your heart this morning, then you can come talk to me. I'll be right down here. If you know someone else better who, who, who is a Christian in this room and you want to talk to them, then grab them aside and y'all go into one of the rooms in the back. If, if you want to come to the altar and, and pray, get on your knees, get on your face and pray to God, then you do that. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I cannot wait for the day where we get to dwell with you again, where you will dwell with your people and when we will dwell with you. I cannot wait for the day where you will wipe away our tears, where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. I cannot wait until we get to see the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end with our very own eyes. God, I, I just cannot wait until a day where we can live life with you in freedom and in worship and in glory and apart from pain and suffering and chaos. Lord, I can't even imagine how good that will be. Lord, I thank you for the words of John. I thank you that you gave him the, the, the ability to see these things and to write these things down for our sake. And Lord, now I pray that these words would take root in our hearts and that we would believe them and we would trust them and that we would, they would affect everything that they would change the way we live, that we would be a people who are heavenly minded. Lord, that we would be a people who have a focus that we know what's coming. And so therefore, we have to live every single day to its fullest and to the importance that you have given it. Lord, so that others may know you, so that others may be counted as conquerors and be counted righteous. Lord, for those of us who know you and who haven't been living for you completely, Lord, forgive us. And, and revive us, Lord. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. It's so easy for us to live day by day by day and to lose the love that we once had for you. Lord, for that to be quelled and, and to, to, to just lessen in our lives. And Lord, we want that refreshed and renewed. We want to love you more than we've ever loved you. We want to have a passion and a zeal for you that, that not only reflects in, in our emotions but in our actions. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. And for those that don't know you, for those who would be counted in, in the list in verse 8, whose end is the second death, Lord, I pray that you would convict them now before it's too late. Lord, save them. Help them to see their need for you, Lord. Because there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with you. But you knew that. And you sent Jesus to fix that for us. Lord, you are a God who fixes everything and will fix everything. So fix us right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.